You're listening to The Good GP, the podcast for busy GPs. Welcome to The Good GP. I'm Sean Stevens, and a quick reminder that if you want to email us, our email address is thegoodgp, or one word, at gmail.com. Today we're interviewing Dr. Peter Silbert, who's a private neurologist in private practice in Perth. He trained in Perth and at the Mayo Clinic. For his crimes, he's also been head of Department of Neurology at Royal Perth, WA State Director of Neurology, and head of Neurology Services for Western Australia. He's also a clinical professor of neurology at UWA, and he has a particular interest in migraines, and it's the topic of this that we're going to be discussing today. Hello, Peter, and welcome. Hi, Sean. Thanks for the invite. No worries. I've been to a talk on migraines that you've given, and what struck me was your common sense and GP-friendly approach to migraines. Have you got any personal experience with migraines? Uh, Yeah, Sean. I mean, really, migraines are common in the general population. 7% of men, 18% of women get migraines. But when you start to look at migraines in neurologists, 35% of male neurologists and 58% of female neurologists get migraines. And there's probably a lot of reasons for that. I mean, migraine is common and I think underestimated. So for many years, it was just more muscle contraction headaches, but we now recognise migraines more common. And perhaps I'll come back to that a little later. In terms of me, I remember walking home from primary school with a migraine. I must have been under 10, had migraines through my teenage years. Don't remember so many at medical school, but certainly once I started working as a resident, registrar, long hours, on-call, sleep deprivation, stressful work environment, that was pretty well the entry to frequent migraines, heading into chronic migraine. And so I've had a a lot of personal experience over the years treating my migraines, treating chronic migraine in myself or leading into chronic migraine management. And really happy to say I'm very well controlled now, but it does give you that benefit reflecting back when you're seeing a patient as to how best to manage them. Mm. No, I think that's right. As GPs, obviously, we see a, a wider range of conditions. But if you've ever had any personal experience with a condition you're treating, it gives you so much more empathy and insight into the patients. Yeah, and I think, fortunately, so many neurologists get migraines that pretty well all of them have some good insight that way. Yeah, great. So migraines are obviously a big topic, and we're going to divide it into two podcasts. Today we're going to focus on where the diagnosis of migraine fits into the spectrum of headache disorders and some of the contributors to migraine episodes in our next episode and we'll focus on the treatments there. So as GPs, how can we differentiate migraine from other headaches? As I was saying, I mean, there's been a change in how frequent we recognise migraines are and Part of the reason for that is if people have headaches at the mild end of the spectrum, if they get a headache, they take paracetamol, non-steroidal, aspirin, headache goes away. It really doesn't matter if it's a muscle contraction headache or a migraine headache. And there are some very strict definitions of migraine where you have throbbing headaches, they say they're more often unilateral, you have phonophobia, and you look for all those features. But I think it really comes down to the key feature is the the throbbing aspect of the headache. And it's quite common that you'll see someone who says they've never had migraines. But when you start to take the history carefully, you do get the history of occasional throbbing headaches where they felt nauseated, may have had some visual disturbance. They may have gone to bed without a headache and they've woken up with that headache in the morning. Well, that's clearly a migraine. It's not a muscle vascular headache. And it is really important when you see patients with headache to be sure what the diagnosis is. Is it a migraine Is it a muscle contraction headache, cervicogenic headache, one of the trigeminal autonomic cephalgias like cluster headache, 
or one of the rarer headaches or less common headaches that we now recognize in more frequency like low CSF pressure headaches. So clarifying the diagnosis is important, but probably also just to recognize that migraine is much more common now than we used to attribute it to, and we probably over-attributed headaches to muscle contraction headaches in the past. Mm, Okay. So you've mentioned a few symptoms there. As GPs, we're seeing lots and lots of patients, lots and lots of different conditions. What would be your top three in terms of bang for your buck? What what symptoms do you think are really help you narrow down that, yes, it's a migraine we're dealing with? I think it's the throbbing nature of the headache, the associated symptoms, which can be both prodrome postrome, so prodrome are the symptoms before the headache. If people just get a muscle contraction headache, they just get their headache. But often with a migraine, before it, there's can't concentrate, irritability, difficulty multitasking, and those symptoms can continue afterwards. And then with migraine, often the associated nausea, more definite auras, visual disturbance, and awakening in the morning with a headache. I mean, if you go to bed without a headache and you wake up in the morning with a throbbing headache, it's migraine. You might have to consider other things like headaches associated with sleep apnea, but in general terms, particularly in young people, that's a clue that it's much more likely migranous. Okay, thank you. All right, so if we look at the pathophysiology now, I remember being taught at medical school in the latter end of last millennium that it was due to vasospasm. But in your talk, you're saying that's not the case? It was always a great explanation for patients to say that when you got your aura, the blood vessels got smaller, and when you got the headache that throbbed, the blood vessels got bigger, because they could relate to that. But we're absolutely sure that's not the case. But it's really complex what causes migraine. We know now from some of the new drugs that come out that really central to it, it's an inflammatory or a chemical type inflammatory response involving calcitonin gene-related peptide. And that's relevant because we're now starting to see a new class of drugs, monoclonal antibodies, that act through that mechanism as preventatives. But the aura is due to something called cortical spreading depression, and it's really neuronal inhibition. The throbbing headache is related to release of calcitonin gene-related peptide, which is an inflammatory-type neurotransmitter, and that's what gives you the throbbing headache from the involvement around the small arteries around the surface of the brain. And also got to add into there, it's a really important symptom, is you get gastroparesis. And that is a very important part of the mechanism of migraine, or one of the symptoms of migraine, because it's so important when it comes to treatment. Mm. Okay, thank you. All right, what about examination? Both when someone is having a headache and when they present with a history of having had headaches in the recent past. I think for GPs, what you're really looking for is do they have a structural pathology that's going to lead to an indication, do you need to do further investigations? So really with migraine, if you see them in between attacks, their examination is essentially normal. If you see someone during a migraine, there's a number of features they can have. You really want to make sure that they're afebrile, they don't have meningitis, that they don't have neck stiffness, that they don't have focal neurological findings like a Horner's syndrome that might indicate a dissection, that they don't have papilledema. It's really the neurological examination along those lines. It's a very different situation seeing them reflecting back on a long history of months and years of headaches and how can we manage it to someone who presents with a new headache. Mm-hmm. And obviously the new headache needs a much more detailed examination. So in the primary care setting, What investigations do you feel we should be doing and, more importantly, shouldn't we be doing? The big issue really is over-investigation with imaging, particularly CT in view of the radiation involved. And 
If someone's got a history of long-standing headaches with long periods between when they are asymptomatic for headache, they're not going to have a structural cause for that headache. If someone's got a history of new-onset headache, particularly with other neurological symptoms, then that's a warning sign that they do need imaging. Uh, the difficulty is really the patient with both. They've had headaches on and off for years and then they present with a sustained, prolonged headache over two to three weeks. Certainly the first time that may lead to some form of imaging to exclude other causes. Often it's a question of do they have a structural pathology, so a CT scan. Sometimes, for example, if they have more of a constant right retroorbital maxillary pain, which is building up, building up over months, unrelenting, you're much more likely to do an MRI and to look for a retroorbital pathology. If someone's got postural-type headaches, you're much more likely to do an MRI and look for brain sag and other features of low CSF pressure. You've really got to be guided very much by the clinical examination, but the main emphasis is to avoid recurrent imaging. Mm, okay, very good. So it really gets back to what we were taught at medical school. History, examination, special tests. Absolutely. Yeah. All right. Now, I understand that there's a number of different subtypes of migraine. Can you please briefly run us through what these are and outline why it's important to differentiate the subtype and how it would affect management? Migraine gets classified in International Headache Society criteria in a very detailed way, but that's very useful in research. But sometimes when it comes to clinical, you can look at it a little bit more pragmatically. So one of the basics is, do they have migraine without aura or do they have migraine with aura? And that becomes really important when it comes to women and oral contraceptive pill and hormone replacement. It also becomes very important when it comes to treatment because it's at the timing that you institute treatment. So we can look at it very simplistically as migraine and migraine with aura. There are some subtypes. There's a lot of people who talk about vestibular migraine. My personal view is vestibular migraine is very overdiagnosed. I mean, the strict criteria are that you must have headache associated 50% of the time with the dizziness and the vestibular sensation. There are some conditions that link into migraine. So acophagic migraine is migraine without headache particularly in older patients who'll get the visual or other focal neurological symptoms without the headache that follows. Mm. And then they're probably the main ones. I mean, cluster headache is in some ways related to migraine and very important to identify, but that's a very characteristic clinical presentation where the patient presents having been well, this is if it's acute cluster, with intense retroorbital pain, often with tearing drooping of the eyelid, a smaller pupil, change in sweating or flushing over the face. It's intense pain that builds up to maximum over five, 10 minutes, and the pain will last for three hours, and then it goes away, and then it occurs the same time roughly the next day. And that's a really important diagnosis to make as a similar headache to migraine because the treatment is really so different. Mm. Okay. Now, you mentioned the pill and the fact that it's very important to identify migraine with aura. Now, in your talk, I was interested, it's different to what I was got elsewhere. Do you mind just running through that for our listeners? Yeah, look, I mean, it's gone through phases to a degree. I mean, there was a study that came out around 2000 that said that patients with migraine should not go on the pill full stop. Really, we're at the stage now, I think if you have migraine with aura then as you'll see in the package insert for the contraceptive pill, it is contraindicated. If you have migraine without aura, the current guidelines from the US that if you're migraine without aura under the age of 35 years, it's reasonable to use the contraceptive pill. Over the age of 35 years, the risk is greater than the benefit. And the reason for that is that if you look at the increased risk of stroke, 
In patients who have migraine with aura and the pill, the risk of stroke is increased by a factor of six to eight times. If you have migraine without aura, the risk of stroke is increased by zero to two times. So that's influenced how we approach the pill. It's a bit more of a challenge when it comes to HRT. The studies haven't been done to an adequate power. Oral estrogens are probably contraindicated in women who have migraine and need hormonal replacement around the time of menopause. And in theory, transdermal would be safer. Having said that, the studies really haven't been done. And we see a lot of women who present with migraine more commonly at the time of menarche and perimenopausal. And the reason is because it's the instability, the feeling unwell, the hot flushes, the not sleeping that relate to their menopausal symptoms that are triggering the migraine. So it makes sense to treat the perimenopausal symptoms as a better way to treat their migraine than with another preventative. Having said that, the studies have not been done in detail for HRT and risk of stroke in the setting of migraine. Right, and that's migraine of all types, with and without. Yes, because if you come back to that recommendation in terms of migraine and the contraceptive pill and using it under 35 but over 35, risk of the contraceptive pill becomes greater than the potential benefits. It's obviously relative. Each patient has to be looked at on their own merits. You've got to consider other vascular risk factors. Do they smoke? Are they hypertensive? Do they have a procreate state? Uh, But it's just something you've got to have a good discussion with the patient about. And Mm. to recognise that having that balanced hormonal status is really important with women in terms of feeling well and having less migraine. Okay, what about just segueing slightly? These days, more and more women are using the long-acting reversible contraceptives, so progesterone-based, Mirena and Implanon. I understand it's the estrogens. Any problems with the progesterone-based? The current status is that there's no problem with the progesterone-based contraceptives. It's worth saying that some of them suit patients better than others. So some patients do find that the implantable Implanon-type contraceptives make migraine worse, but for other women, once they stop having their periods, it doesn't. So like many of the preventatives we use for migraine, same for women choosing these contraceptives. It's trial and error, what suits Mm. them and what will give them less migraines. Okay. Thanks very much for your time today, Peter. And please remember to email us on thegoodgp at gmail.com and tune in to our next episode when we continue our interview with Peter on the treatment of migraines. See you soon.